This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. Hey, folks, Mea Culpa's still taking a much-needed few days off south of the border. But with so much going on, we don't want to leave you hanging. Hell, we promised you that we wouldn't do that. So stay tuned for an all-new conversation with Scott Dorkin, founder and lead investigator of the Democratic Coalition and host of the Dorkin Report podcast. His 2016 Dorkin Report helped uncover the Trump-Russia affair well before Special Counsel Mueller's probe even began. He served as a deputy director for both the 2009 Presidential Inaugural Committee and the 2012 Democratic National Convention, and was a senior advisor on both the draft Biden and Run Warren Run campaigns. He has worked on campaigns and with organizations in all 50 states and was named to the Campaigns and Elections Magazine's 2011 Class of Rising Stars. You can find him at DorkinReport.com or ScottDorkin.org as well as on Twitter at Funder, F-U-N-D-E-R. He joins us today on Mea Culpa to discuss the rapidly approving Georgia racketeering and all things indictment. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Scott, in your most recent Substack newsletter, you wrote, and I quote, We don't have to act like it's a somber day for America every time MAGAs get indicted, because it's not. It's accountability season starting. It's justice. Even if it comes in the form of an arrest, a mugshot, a fine, whatever it may be, enjoy it. Use it to fuel your fire to ensure we hold the rest of them accountable. Do me a favor if you would. Unpack for my listeners the larger message that you're trying to convey here. Sure. I mean, one of the common things that I'll get a comment on is we'll talk about, oh, this happened. Trump got indicted here. He got indicted here. And this, you know, sort of crime occurred. But what we'll hear on our side of things a lot of times is that's not enough. Uh, or he's going to wheeze a lot of it, or he's going to have to do. They don't look at the side a lot of times from comments and things like that. They look at the side of uh, it's going to keep him in court. It's going to keep him busy. He's going to keep on pouring money into lawyers. He's going to have to be uh, tied up with this. Like the, there are little wins that we can celebrate and enjoy. And if we don't enjoy that and we just suffer through the misery of it, of oh, he'll be able to get out of this. He'll be able to move this to federal court. Um, then it's just not going to, you know, it's not going to be an enjoyable life because this is, again, the long game. I mean, it's been, you know, over seven years now since he came on the scene. And so we need to make sure that that these these are things that involve justice. You know, Enrique Tario getting sentenced is, is huge justice. If, if Trump were still president, I don't believe that that would have happened the same way, obviously. There's a, there's a bunch of different indictments and a bunch of other accountability. You see Peter Navarro, um, you know, even Don Jr. and Ivanka testified before the January 6th committee, and this dude is, acts like he's some hero. And now he's talking about all he's done for liberals uh, for some reason. Uh, and now he, you know, obviously got convicted and he'll face sentencing in January. So there's accountability all over the place. But my my point is, I just want people to enjoy the win because they deserve it. They earned it. Um, you know, the people we voted for uh, were able to install people that 
actual actually look at the law and indict people who are guilty uh, instead of indicting people for uh, crimes that they would allege because there is there is some kind of bad blood, like indicting someone um, who was asked to do a crime instead of the person who did the crime. And obviously, you know, some folks know something about that. So it's 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 really that that's my point is I just want folks to be able to enjoy the win of accountability and justice. We don't have to act like it's the worst. Like this is a terrible thing for America. It's not. It is a great thing for America to see people in that were in power and in power get accountability for their actions, because it's the only thing that really will deter it from happening in the future. Well, you know, that's something that I've been fighting for literally almost since the day that the FBI raided my home, my hotel, yeah. my law office, my safety deposit box. Ever since that day, I've been turning around and saying the same thing. Whoa, 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 slow down. It wasn't by accident in my statements before the Southern District of New York when I said what I did. I did it the direction of, for the benefit of, and in concert with, individual number one. And we all know who individual number one is. But the only one who saw any accountability was me. And yeah. since I have been released, I'm making it my mission, including my next, my second book, Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the United States Department of Justice against his critics. I tell to everybody, so you understand where I'm coming from, so you understand the statement that, Scott, you just made, that book is an actual forensic dissection of the most corrupt prosecution in maybe the last 100 years. The prosecution of somebody who refused, for example, to waive their First Amendment constitutional right and was remanded back to prison because I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't waive my ability to go on television, to talk to the media, to publish my book. I mean, that's not normal. And I'll tell you what else isn't normal. We heard the other day Trump turned around and said, if he's reelected, one of the things he wants to do is he wants to get rid of the tripartite system of our government, meaning the judiciary, the legislative branch are no longer co-equal powers to the executive branch, that all the power will rest in the hands of the executive branch. And of course, the head of the executive branch is the president of the United States. In essence, he will make himself a king. Absolutely. And he, he also threatened to prosecute people. You know, one of the things is I, I would have, uh, I'll just, I won't describe in very big detail, but I will say that I was planning to leave the country if he were reelected because uh, I had to. Um, the thoughts from my legal counsel and others was that he was going to come after people like me and Grant Stern and others that had been investigating him and his allies and associates uh, for years. And he, you know, I mean, there were things that we had to do, like a self-imposed audit for, you know, years to make sure that there were there was nothing wrong with my books whatsoever, um, because, you know, we knew that he was going to try and weaponize the IRS against us. Uh, there was I, I, I never even got a speeding ticket during his time in office because I knew that at different times, um, you know, we were, were being looked at. Um, not by any feds or any, but private people that uh, I think his allies had hired. 
Um, and it's just it's just one of the things uh, the reality is he wanted to go after everybody, I think, but he kind of trusted the wrong people maybe because they kind of were like, yeah, yeah, I'll get on top of it. And then they maybe did nothing about it. Um, and then he was too lazy to come and follow up with that. Or when he did follow up, they were like, oh, yeah, I've been working on that. And he believes them for some reason. Um, you know, I, I, I'm i not sure, but laziness is the only thing that I think got us out of a, a lot of trouble. But he obviously, if he were to run re-election, he was going to come after everyone with a vengeance. And he would have been able to do uh, pretty much anything that he wanted. I know that none of these people would have been indicted. None of this would have come to light. None of these investigations probably would have been uh, fruitful. You know, we'd, we'd be too busy fighting his continuation of thug mob nature, you know? Well, of course I know because I was the recipient of it. I mean, you know, I happen to be, and I don't say this lightly and I don't say it to be hyperbolic, I am the first political prisoner held by my own country, the United States of America, because I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional rights. And I'm fighting. I brought a lawsuit against the United States government, Trump, Bill Barr, the DOJ. I brought it because I want to ensure that what they did to me, Trump, Barr, DOJ, Southern District of New York, never happens to anyone Ever again. You know, we just saw in the past week two different individuals that spent, I think, combined more than 50 years in prison for crimes that they didn't commit. Now, I take responsibility for what I did. And what I did was the Stormy Daniels hush money payment. That case is now going to hold Donald accountable by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. But I didn't commit tax evasion, nor did I commit a misrepresentation to the bank regarding a HELOC loan. I had had a HELOC on my, on my apartment for over a decade before even you know, this situation came about. I don't understand where it came from. The only reason that I had no choice is because they threatened on a Friday that if you don't come in and plead guilty on Monday, we're filing an 80-page indictment that's going to include your wife. And anybody that has been up against the government, you have to understand that the extent of the pressure, especially when your own lawyer is telling you, they're going to, they're going to lock your wife up too. What am I supposed to do? So I ate the shit. Now that, I, now that I have the microphone, and now that I have the proof and the documents, even though I'm still fighting with FOIA to get the documents... 13, 14 months already, I haven't been able to get one single document from them, even though the court has ordered them to process a minimum of 500 documents per month. They refuse to turn over any. The last bunch of bullshit is that it could cause loss of life to an agent or to a member of law enforcement. I mean, that's just comical. But yeah, I did. I misrepresented to Congress. I lied to Congress. And I paid Stormy Daniels. In fact, I never paid Karen McDougal, something that so many journalists keep writing about, that I paid Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. I did not. That was paid by AMI David Pecker, who, coincidentally, right, Southern District of New York gave him limited immunity despite the fact he and Weisselberg lied. It's a fucking tragedy in regards to how obvious 
there was an abuse of power to go after you in, in retaliation for everything. And then him piling on and using the power of the White House and the power of the uh, the press against you to do a full squeeze and you still didn't uh, didn't break. And he was he had his foot on your neck and you basically said, you know, fuck you, bring it. And that's what we needed was somebody that had that um, gall, the, the person who testified. Remember that turning point for you, what I've seen is, is that when you testify publicly, like that was a turning point for our country in a direction that we've, we needed to head and nobody had the courage to do so. Nobody. Nobody even came close. I mean, this is this is like in 2016 when I called him a traitor and everyone, I'm talking about Lawrence Tribe, I'm talking about anybody who calls him traitors now. Like, I, I was like, he's clearly a traitor. He's, uh, you know, he's working with our enemies against our country. Um, and then, you know, looking back on it, it, when people, I was on an island and I'm, you know, I'm on an island, but I'm able to be on like, you know, international news doing it. It just was, it, you look back on it and it's like, it. What, what what was I thinking? Like I was going after this dude, and he had no kind of rules. And I'm just I'm glad I got out of it uh, in one piece. Uh, so I'm one of the lucky ones. Uh, you know, you got again slammed in a different, in a huge way. And uh, you know, again, you you came out of it because you came forward and did what no one else in his circle or even close to him was even willing close to, to, to do, which is tell the truth. Uh, and so that I think is, is true judgment of your character and who you are and uh, how you've developed as a human being. Cause that takes, uh, that took real courage to do, especially in that time. And that helped turn everything around really for, you the know, yeah, I tell you what's crazy is people don't even know this. When I actually testified live for the House Oversight Committee the day before, I had gone through the same eight-plus-hour ordeal before the Senate Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. For That was an eight-, nine-hour interview, but that was in a skiff. That wasn't live. Mm -hmm. Then on Thursday, I had the House Oversight Committee, which 100 million people you know, uh, viewed, but then they also don't know that that next day, the Friday, another nine hours before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. I did like 27 hours of abuse, right, over just those days. Not to mention, I had already provided testimony once prior, um, you know, one, uh, I mean, like eight, six, eight months earlier, and... Because of the fighting that was going on between the House, uh, between Adam Schiff and the Democrats, there was so much fighting and hours wasted between their fighting that I had to come back yet again. It was like seven different interviews that I went through, you know, for it. I mean, a lot of people don't, un they just don't understand that. But, you know, I, I will tell you, it is fucking exhausting mentally, physically, emotionally. And now I just got subpoenaed yesterday by the New York Attorney General. They want me to now testify as a witness against Trump in the civil, that minimum $250 million case, you know, by our unsinkable New York Attorney General, Tish James.
I'm exhausted even thinking about it. It takes a lot. So when you have these testimony, just just so people know, you have, let's say, 63 hours of testifying in front of Congress. Do you have to retain counsel during that entire time and they have to sit next to you? And so you're paying <laughs> to be there. Correct. God knows what the hour. So like it, I, I mean, like that's that's just a, such a huge expense and you can't. You can't go without an attorney. Like I've been in those meetings before. I've been in those hearings. Like you cannot go in front of them without an attorney because it just that would be a disaster. That's just not that not in that situation that you were in because you got both parties trying to get you with reeling in questions as in like, oh, well, um, you know, trying to trick you on one side, maybe be sort of respectful on the other side, try and bury you alive. And so you nobody's your friend in there. And so they're all trying to get something out of you where they can go after you more or they can go after Trump uh, or leverage something you say against you to get more from you to get after Trump. It, it just was like it's a high pressure scenario. But I think the the cash burn of what you had to put forward should be should be known just that it it's not like the, all that testifying like that sucks away time for your work. It sucks away time from family and, and everything else so that's a sentence in itself just having to go in front of them especially during that divisive congress because that must have been must have been pure hell yeah it sure is and i'll tell you i'm still right now i'm still on paper believe it or not so yes of course i'm out my time uh has been served by um the incarceration however um afterwards judge william h paulie the third uh, also hit me with a three-year supervised release. Mm. So when I just came back from the first vacation that I've been on with my family in more than five years, they hold me in immigration uh, every time I leave the country. It would make no difference if I was going to the Bahamas. It would make no difference if I was in France or anywhere else. As soon as I come in from another country, I'm immediately detained by immigration. I mean, it's really, it's, it's fucked up. The whole system is just wrong, you know, no matter how you want to slice it. But I want to jump into something uh, else that you just brought up, because yesterday you also wrote, and again, I'm going to quote, back to that word traitor. I've never used the word traitor lightly, and I continue to be careful how I use it. In 2016, it was the first time I ever called anyone a traitor. And the traitor I was referring to was Trump. So when I call Tuberville, I'm referring to, of course, Senator Tommy Tuberville, a traitor, know that I mean it. Do me a favor, if you would. Describe for my listeners why Tuberville rises to the level of traitor for you. Well, I, I think anyone who attacks our, and that's what I'll call it, is an attack on our armed forces um, and her, hurts our armed forces the way that Tuberville is, even though it may be legislatively um, I think that it's it's really rises to being a traitor because he is hurting our country at a level that you cannot see yet, but the ripple effect will harm us for years. Uh, he is holding back over 300 military uh, appointees and, and people who should be confirmed by the Senate, um, something that's ridiculous enough where one senator shouldn't be able to hold it up in the first place. And then also three chiefs of our uh or a U.S. military, which has never happened before in U.S. history, all because 
he what he, what he claims to be uh, a abortion reimbursement in the military and how he's a pro-life stance, um, which I think is absolute bullshit. Uh, it's a cop out. And and what we're going to do and what, what you'll see in this conversation is it's going to shift away from Tuberville and it's going to shift over to Trump and McConnell asking what the hell are they doing to make sure that we have a chief in place for our U.S. military and also what have why haven't they said anything about it? Why haven't they done anything about it? We all know the reasons why. And I think that's going to come out next week is the fact they want Biden to look bad, even though it's not Biden fault, even though Biden has nothing to do with it, even though Biden has nonpartisan people who are uh, rising for that and that should, it should be unanimous in, in regards to getting these people through. But he is just holding him up because he wants Biden to look bad. And, and he has these all these excuses and acts like now he's attacking the potential chiefs, acting like they don't do anything anyways. They sit there and write poems or, like he's trying to be the next Trump when Oh, reality, he's just a fake armchair quarterback who deserves to be sitting on his ass at home, acting like he's the, the failed coach he is. And so right now, I, I just say Alabama deserves better. Everybody deserves better. Congress deserves better. Um, he's one of the lowest of the low. But you also have to look at the fact that leadership hasn't said a damn word about it. They're acting like there's no issue there. Uh, I think this is going to come to bite them all in the ass uh, in regards to elections, because this is going to be repeated at, at, and amplified at a level that we haven't seen before, because it's at, we're talking about 300 people that need to be in place. So they are doing nothing at this point, but hurting our military. And that is uh, just, not just irresponsible, but, you know, it rises to the level of being a traitor. It, it really does. If you look at the definition of it, if you look at how uh, someone can hurt the United States of America, Tuberville is doing more harm than some adversarial countries can do for us right now. And he's doing a favor for Putin. He's doing a favor for any of our enemies across the world right now. He's doing nothing but help them. Uh, and then the chiefs, the potential chiefs and the secretaries uh, of uh, different military establishments have uh, agreed with me on that that fact. Um, so I, I think he raises that level of being a traitor. I know his office did not appreciate what I wrote yesterday. I don't know why so many people read it, but uh, that's cool. Um, but but it, it is, it, it's, it's what I believe. Uh, it really is. Um, reprehensible it's disgusting and it's it's something that does raise to the level of tuberville being a straight-up traitor to the united states of america so the, i have two two points after i read the article as well first and foremost how does somebody like a tommy tuberville how does he even get reelected? i mean i want I want people to think about this. If you are from Alabama, and I don't give a shit where you're from, it makes, should make no difference. How can a woman ever vote for this piece of shit? Forgetting about, we're going to get to the next part, which is the military. If you have or you know anyone that's in the military, how could you possibly also vote for this, for this guy who is jeopardizing our national security. So not only is he, in my opinion, hurting 
our armed forces, our military, but he's also doing so under the guise, as you brought up, stopping the abortion policy, which permits or pays for travel when a service member goes out of state to get an abortion or other reproductive care. How could any woman vote for somebody like this? And then the audacity of this piece of shit turns around and brushes off any criticism whatsoever, stating, and this is his quote, we're going to be in a holding pattern for a long time. Fantastic. Putting the national security of our country in jeopardy. And you're so right, because our forefathers always said no foreign agent could ever bring down the United States, it will ultimately or could possibly happen only internally. And he's a perfect example. Yeah, holding pattern until the 2024 election is what what they're going to look for. Because and I bet I bet that he will soon uh, blame Biden for this overall and act like it's Biden's fault that they're not filled, even though it's it's on Tuberville, he'll go after Biden for it. Like that's that's what the plan is. You can see it from a mile away. That's why uh, Trump and McConnell are ignoring it, staying away from it, even though they're in a place. Well, especially Trump, especially Trump. uh, I'm thinking behind the scenes. He wants, you know, this to happen. He wants to hold this back. uh, And Tuberville is just doing his bidding. That's what it's seeing. I mean, like, I, I really don't see Tuberville being anything more than a pawn. Um, you know, I don't think that he has the smarts to actually figure this out in the first place. Um, and he, he just stands for nothing. You know, he, he really doesn't uh, stand for anything good. Uh, that's for sure. And he she's proven that through uh, January 6th. And he, he's proven that with his uh, insane support of different things that Trump has floated and defensiveness of uh, different white nationalists and, and other things. It's it's just insanity. He is not qualified to be a dog catcher. And, and that's not meant to be offensive to dog catchers. But like he he's not qualified to be serving in the uh, in Congress. He should have no role in public life whatsoever. Um, nobody should listen to a damn word he, he has to say. But right now he's a senator. Uh, you know, I, I would be even willing to support if there was no viable Democrat, which there should be, um, you know, against him in a few years. Like I, I'll be willing to support a primary against him uh, if necessary. Like this guy is is the worst of the worst, and uh, he needs to be voted out. That's for sure. Yeah, but you know, Scott, um, I watched uh, CNN the other day. The Secretary of the Navy. This is why I go right back to think every woman should vote against Tuberville. They should actually seek his removal immediately, based upon a woman's choice, a woman's right over her own reproductive determinations. On top of that, again, if you have anyone in your family, if you are a friend of someone who is in any of the, of the um, services in our military, how could you possibly vote for this lunatic? Here's what Secretary of the Navy, Carlos del Toro, accused Tuberville on television. And I got to quote this because this is so strong that I am blown away 
that there's anybody, if you even respect the military, and if you respect, don't tell me after somebody is unfortunately lost, you know, um, in the military, oh, you know, thoughts and prayers. You really want to have thoughts and prayers? You get rid of somebody like Tuberville, and you put somebody in that's going to allow these promotions and these confirmations to take place. But Secretary of the Navy, Carlos del Toro, accused Tuberville of this, and I quote, playing Russian roulette with the very lives of our service members by denying them the opportunity to actually have the most experienced combat leaders in those positions to lead them in times of peace and in times of combat. All right? In fact, they turned around and he then said, because it wasn't just him, several of the um, secretaries of, whether it was the, uh, the Air Force, the Marines, uh, they turned around and they wrote in an op-ed, it will have a corrosive effect on the force. This guy, like you just said, this guy's playing Russian roulette with the national security of the United States of America. Well, that's what this does. You know, if Republicans come out and they are blaming Chuck Schumer today uh, for the logjam, I guess he can bring them individually to a vote. I don't know how long that would take. Uh, but they're already starting to blame Democrats for this instead of Tuberville. Um, we're going to see this spread and the shrug of the shoulders, you know, like there is with gun violence and, you know, other major things that are going on throughout the country that Republicans don't want to fix. Um, and this is this is just beyond the pale, a nonpartisan issue. This is anti-military. I think John Stewart says it best, you know, that Republicans are uh not pro-military, they're anti-military and they're pro-military machine. Um, you know, they do not support our veterans, do they, they do not support our troops. They support the military machine itself and the money that goes towards it and the corporations that back it. That's it. They don't support the troops. They don't believe in the troops. And even the people who served in the military before, who honorably served, who were some were war heroes uh, and are, are Republicans in Congress now. Um, they turn a blind eye to it and they just move forward and they push against the military and funding funding for people. Uh, you know, Look at how many Republicans voted against funding for uh, survivors of the burn pits and just medical care for uh, veterans. And they were worried about slush fund spending. You know, the the Republican Party who gives tax breaks to corporations like no, it's ridiculous. And the amount of money that we were talking about was not much compared to everything else they're spending money on. So I, I, I think that this is a broad problem. And, and one of the biggest things that we need to point out in the 2024 election is the fact that they are anti-veteran and they are anti-troops uh, and and you know, they'll have to prove it, like show us exactly how you are besides just waving an American flag around and giving people a thumbs up. You know, it's the same thing with women's rights. Like they are pro birth after birth. They don't care whatsoever. They want to force you to have the kid. They want you to not have the medical care that you need to have the kid in the first place. Um, but if you get pregnant, you got to have the kid and then you're on your own. You know, it, it's, it's just basically they don't care about the rest of the picture. They care about the hospitals making money, about insurance companies making a buck and the 
people getting screwed by it with $50,000 births because no one can plan, you know, you're a dad, no one can plan around a pregnancy. No one knows how your pregnancy can work out. It's going to be C-section, it's going to be natural birth. You, you, you don't control that. You don't control also if your baby doesn't survive and if they have to perform a procedure for the wife to actually survive, even though ba the baby had passed, you know, it could be defined as an abortion. You could live in a state where you lose the mom too, because of that. And they don't have that worked in the law. I mean, like there's a lot of specifics here where it's basically, you know, Republicans, most of them aren't doctors and the doctors that are in there and the Republicans are batshit crazy. Um, so, you know, leave it between people and their doctors. A, a lot of a lot of people jamming their way into people's personal life. I thought that they were all about, you know, state rights and making sure that the individual has the right and leave me alone. I'm more libertarian. Like, you know, I'm going to live on my land. I'm going to sit here and grow my own corn. And like, that's just not the case. They're pro corporate America, pro violence, pro uh, big corporations in regards to supporting, you know, the military establishment, but not the troops and not the veterans. And, and so anyways, I'm going to go on all day about that. If we, have the time. Yeah. Look, that's the biggest problem is that the Democrats messaging has been weak, you know, over the course of the Biden administration. And prior to that is actually the Democrats messaging has always been weak. Something I yell about, uh, not just on this podcast, but my other podcast, Political Beatdown as well, when I talk about how Jamie Harrison, I mean, for God's sakes, where the fuck is the DNC already? Where are they to turn around and to hold you know, to hold these folks accountable. And I think that's why uh, right now, you know, Biden is getting really, um, you know, he's getting beaten up uh, in the in the press and with some of these new polls that are coming out. But I am curious, Scott, if you would tell me, how do you feel about the sentencing of former Proud Boy leader Enrique Tarrio? All right. What did he get? 18 years, something like that. Is 22. it uh, 22 years? Is it yeah. enough time? Or do you no. think it's too much? What's your thoughts? Uh, no, not enough time. I think the, a lot of these people have foment uh, an attempted coup, uh, physical coup on our government. And I think we need to defer people from doing it again. And, um, you know, 17, 18 years for, for some and 22 for Tario. And, um, you know, we have some other people who are going to be sentenced here uh, I think that that's viable enough where, you know, newborns right now are going to be getting out of college when, you know, he'll be released if not, you know, if he doesn't get out earlier. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Garland or the DOJ tries to seek to extend those sentences or appeals those sentences because the recommendation was for at least a decade more, I believe. So I, I just I, I think that there's this is a, a serious problem where, uh, you know, police officers, whether they, it was due to what happened that day or um, due to the violence for that happened that day, police officers died. They, they were killed. Um, and, and, you know, there were so many people who were injured through that process, uh, through that fight. And, you know, it, it was years in the making where this guy is running around um, like a domestic terrorist and just running his mouth and causing so many violent acts across the country. Um, the, these are the people we need to put behind bars. And so I think it's a, enough for 
the instance of it's something serious and significant enough where it should deter some others from trying to repeat those actions again. Um, but at the same time, like this is not a person who should ever uh, be free again. This is not a, a person who, in my mind, I mean, equating him to any kind of international terrorist, like that is how he should be treated. It's not, um, you know, he obviously had a fair trial and, he possibly faces other uh, charges. And I think there's a different court case as well that could extend his sentence. Um, but this, this is, it's, it's never going to be enough, you know, and this is part of the argument of what I had said before is yes, she should have been sentenced to more. He deserves more, but let's look at the fact that if you rewind five years ago or four years ago, if, if I told you Tario was going to spend 22 years behind bars after getting prosecuted and convicted uh, by a jury uh, after being indicted by the DOJ, no one would believe me. They'd be like, you're out of your mind. There's no way that they're going to go after him. There's no way he's ever going to spend a day in prison. There's no way he's going to actually ever get in trouble for any of this. And, you know, he, he did. So, you know, th I think that this is a good uh, story to tell people who would ever try and do what he's done ever again. Um, this will, will help deter that from happening because nobody wants to spend a day behind bars, let alone 22 years. And, and of course, I, I'm sure he'll be on probation and federal probation is no picnic for anybody, you know, depending on how they define it. I mean, I, I know some folks that I've interviewed over the years that um, only spent you know, year and a half, two years in there, but they had 10 years of federal probation and it was a weekly check-in plus uh, unnotified check-ins plus no internet usage without them monitoring every move that they have. They had monitor of their cell phone. If they had anything else, if they did any drugs, if they drank anything, if they did like, there was a litany of things that they could not do. And if they did, they were back in prison immediately. And it, so, I mean, they, there's a lot of guidelines. You're still kind of in prison when you're under that. So he, he's going to be in it for a while. I think it should deter others from doing so. Um, but, you know, again, I, I hope for more just because, you know, I I lived down the street from there. You could see the smoke billowing from the Capitol. Um, you know, and people starting to get ready for potential urban warfare if they were coming in our, our neighborhood. We had no idea what was going to happen. I imagine some kind of stick situation <laughs> would have gone on. But yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it, but in all seriousness, it's, it really is. It's good to see some justice. It's good to see some people go behind bars um, and have significant sentences because, again, this would have I don't think that they would have been prosecuted at all if uh, Trump had won re-election or if Pence had done something different or, you know, if he stayed in the White House longer, something like that. You know, this all could have played out much differently. Um, so we're I, I'm you know, I, I think that it's OK um, to to just say, yeah, he got a sentence that was good, um, not great. Not terrible, but it was good enough. I think. Trust me, twenty-two years. Yeah, twenty-two years is uh, 
that's a long time. It's a um, that's a solid it's a solid sentence. But you know, um, when I first heard the twenty two years onto it, I was saying to myself, a guy who you know, I got thirty six months, three years, did thirteen months there, and then as you said, the home confinement part because of COVID and all. I was saying to myself, boy, that's an awfully long sentence. You know, I mean, people who commit murder don't get 22 years. Mm -hmm. But then I started thinking about something else, you know, taking aside any comparative type of sentencing. The thing that folks like um, organizations like the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers and others, the thing that they're doing right now, which scares the shit out of me, and I'm curious whether it worries you as well is something called bottom-up strategy. Because what these guys have done is, despite the arrests, despite the convictions and so on, they've splintered into groups, these national organizations, and they've changed from being what many of us see them as, right? This paramilitary-type group. But rather, instead of trying to effectuate a national presence... They've instead infiltrated themselves or they've inserted themselves into local GOP organizations and governments all across our country on a grassroots level. And by doing this, it allows them to influence and intimidate local school boards, voter registrations and other aspects of local government. So here's this whole concept of bottom-up strategy. You take the bottom, city councils, school boards, you know, these local, local government positions, and you control them. By doing so, you ultimately then can advance to the next level up. Maybe speaker of the city council, maybe the mayor, maybe then Congress, right? Governor, senator, etc. That's the play that they're trying for. And that worries me. And I'm curious if it worries you as well. Oh, hell yeah. No, that's <laughs> that's a that's a huge worry. I mean, you know, they they've uh, obviously some cops have become members of these groups. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different people in positions of power that have been members of these groups. You've seen people who are prosecuting attorneys, members of a district attorney's office out West that uh, admittedly was supportive of these groups. Um, you you, you got to be careful who you're <laughs> involved with at this point, and they need to be flushed out and, you know, basically banned from public life because it's not, it, it's not something that, you know, this isn't something that's going to go away, but the use of violence and threats um, and, you know, listening to the person who speaks, screams the loudest instead of the person who has the best points. Um, you know, that's that's what even as something as simple as banning books, um, you know, this, this is the sort of mentality where we need to elect leaders who are strong enough to not be scared of these tactics because when those when you ha have that fear once you bend to that fear if you're an elected official um you know at a school board even a school board member if you bend to that fear you'll bend to everything else at their will 
And, and so we need to have strong leaders in office and it's on us to elect those leaders and make sure that we flush out any of these uh, people who have infiltrated our, our government, because it is, it is going to be a longstanding problem, um, not just with these groups, but people who are individual activists who are against the United States of America. Um, you know, I guess if we had a better vetting process, we would have never had a person like Tuberville in the Senate in the first place um, if we found out what he really stood for, which is, again, nothing nothing good. But when it comes to these groups, these these groups are going to uh, splinter uh, more and there's going to be more more localized uh, because of the lack of uh, national leadership. Um, and so it, it will build out again. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the FBI will have uh, some intervention with it. Um, but we this is domestic terrorism and we need to prevent it uh, when we can. And, and also, again, make sure that none of these people have a leadership role in any of our governments, that they don't have they're not a police chief. Um, and, and, you know, we need to make sure that they're they're weeded out at the same time. We need to make sure that, you know, there's no false calls either, because once one false call, you know, if, if they're not a member of these groups, um, you know, it could backfire in, in, a, in a different way where it gets more people riled up. Um, but, yeah, we'll have the loud mouths in government and, and, and whatnot. But the people who are against the United States of America and willing to take it to a violent level should have no role in our society whatsoever. Yeah, and we have a whole slew of them, not just on the local levels, uh, but on, you know, the congressional level as well. And I'm with you. You know, look, I'm all for debate. I'm all for having a difference of opinion. You know, look, I don't agree with everything that Biden does, but I like the direction that he wants to bring America. Do I agree with everything? Absolutely not. In fact, and I repeat the same line many times, Ed Koch used to say, if you agree with me six out of 12 times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you should seek a psychiatrist. And he's 100% correct. But this then brings me to a question I really, I'm, I'm interested in getting your perspective on. So you have Fulton County DA Fannie Willis. I mean, she's also unsinkable. She's come out swinging against attempts by Representative Jim, you know, Jim Bag Jordan over there to obstruct her prosecution of the RICO 19, right? You know, Trump and the 18 co-defendants. And it's quite a thing to behold, right? In that scorching nine-page letter where Fannie Willis blasts Jordan for his, and I'm going to quote here again, attempt to interfere with the obstruction of this office's prosecution. And she said that he should buy a book on RICO cases, right, at the non-attorney discount price. I guess she was telling him to take a CLE course, a continuing legal education course. Now, Willis's scathing response to Jordan's request for all the documents related to the prosecution of Trump also tackled him for attempting to use his congressional authority to do what I just talked about from guys like the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers to bully and suggested that he use his authority to investigate threats against her and her staff. And she's wrote, your letter makes clear that you lack a basic understanding of the law. 
its practice, and the ethical obligations of attorneys generally and prosecutors specifically. I mean, that's, Will, that's Willis's statement. It's clear that Jim Begg Jordan is abusing the power of his committee as well as his position in Congress. So you think now Jim Jordan should be investigated for the weaponization of government? Oh, of course, Jim Jordan should be investigated for a lot of things. Uh, absolutely. I think one of the one of the things that's uh, evident here is something that Jordan's done for years now is he, uh, you know, he, he, yeah, he's using uh, government as a weapon, but he's also using the congressional stamp to wave around and create propaganda doing this because that letter he uses to fundraise trump uses to fundraise everybody uses to fundraise in the republican party like they and they act like this is it i have a fancy letter with this letterhead that says we're going to get these documents you know she's not going to hide them from us and it's pure propaganda and fanny willis is giving a master class in how you fight propaganda like jim jordan's like this is how you do it you don't take it lying down you come back full force and say fuck you here's you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) here's my side of things take this and and uh from from here basically you're not getting anything from me and she i think fanny willis knows that he's not gonna get a damn thing from her and it's just not, he's not going to have the time to be able to get the documents. She'll be able to delay if necessary, appropriately under legal terms. And, you know, he wouldn't win anything in court like it just wouldn't happen. He's not going to be able. And this is another example of what the hell happened to Republicans thinking about state rights over the federal rights. You have a federal government official attacking someone at the local level, right? Attacking them, acting like I have the right to have all your documents. I thought this was so anti-Republican. This is not what you say you stand for, Jim Jordan. And so this is, but this is how you fight the propaganda is you have to fight that fire with fire, but she's doing it in a way where she cites precedent and she cites legal cases. She cites examples of why you're so terrible. I think in, in, um, there's a piece that was written in Vanity Fair, uh, today and, uh, it, it was by Bess Levin, and she said something about uh, uh, in a withering letter, the subtext of which was basically, you're a fucking idiot, and I can't believe mm-hmm. I have, have to take time out of my day to deal with you. And I think this is, but this is how you do it, because now he's shamed into a corner. Shame is one of the biggest cures to propaganda. He's shamed into a corner, and he has to respond, and he can't elevate it really to a next level he'll have to probably switch maneuvers and figure out a different route and then act like it's a new attack i don't think he wants to escalate this because this is something that he would surely lose yeah 100 percent. but then again they've lost on all of their allegations i mean remember they brought people in claiming uh things about biden and um and hunter biden and money and then all of a sudden the guy disappears he's not around there's no checks or dot, dot, dot. but what about uh hunter biden's laptop and they and none of it has turned out to have an an ounce of reality it's mere bullshit statements and so on but speaking about bullshit statements the other day trump announced that he would gladly testify in all four of his cases. 
Now, I call bullshit on that, considering he doesn't even want to come and testify in the case that he brought against me, that frivolous $500 million Southern District of Miami case. And so now, fortunately, we have a great judge, and fortunately, the judge has court-ordered that he has to be deposed on October 3rd. Now, this, again, creates all sorts of problems because this guy's schedule is jam-packed between all of these various cases, not to mention those are the four criminal cases. You still have two civil matters, not including the third one, which is the one that he brought against me. You also have the E. Jean Carroll civil case and the, Manha- and the, Manha- uh, the New York Attorney General case. So he's got a lot on his plate. But nevertheless, Diaper Donald himself, the big man, the Teflon Don, is willing to testify in all four of the cases. Do you think that he'll actually, that this will actually come to pass, that he'll actually show up? Because we all have seen what a wonderful witness Donald Trump makes when he's on the stand, right? My real question is, what lawyer in their right mind would put Trump on the stand voluntarily? To me, it just seems like the more that he speaks the more he incriminates himself. That's a fact. And especially when he wants to ad lib statements that were prepared by attorneys, um, that's got to make their blood boil. As you've seen attorney after attorney that, that resign or quit um, or get indicted of his, um, out, uh, you know, the recent counsel for uh, surrounding January 6th and, and stuff like that. I mean, uh, he's not testifying in any of these cases willingly. None, none, nothing. He's not going to say a word. There's no way that he would do it. He's never faced this much heat before, and he's surely not going to do it. He won't show up to any of these court cases that he doesn't have to. So if it's a hearing where he can appear virtually, he's going to do that over being there in person unless he can get international news and they follow his caravan and all that shit. Um, you know, he's... He really, there's no lawyer, maybe, maybe some of his lawyers, uh, like what I think Lynn Wood's a lawyer, right? Like, yeah, Boris Epstein, uh, you got, you know, you you have, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, Boris Epstein. Taco, Taco, Taco Penis. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what, that's, that always got me so confused when he would talk about, Tom does Russian ties, and I'm like, dude, you, what are you talking? Like, you worked in Moscow, aren't you Russian? Like yourself, your name is not. It, it wasn't spelled that way when you were born. Like, it, you were born in Russia, I believe, right? Like, yeah, and, but that doesn't. That certainly doesn't make him an agent either. No, you know, no, he no, just happens no. to. He happens to be a lawyer, but he's really he's a non-practicing lawyer. So the fact that he was sitting at the lawyer's table, right when. Trump was first indicted. I thought it was the stupidest and the funniest thing. All you have to do is to see what is his background. He, I think he went to Georgetown, so he's certainly not yeah. dumb, right? No. However, he's non-practicing, which, you know, d- doesn't, it just means he has no fucking clue what he's doing. He's sitting at a table, what, to intimidate the judge? I mean, how is something like that even going to happen? Look, let me also then just bring it back into this New York attorney general. Uh, actually, let me bring it back better than that to this, uh, you know, to the fact that on October 3rd, he has to, under court order, appear. 
Now, one of the reasons that it was moved from September 6th to now October 3rd is because they want to bring in another lawyer because they believe that some of the questions that are going to be asked of Donald could infringe upon his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and that it could harm him in any one of these other four criminal cases that are currently plaguing him. That in and of itself is fucking funny, if you think about it, that he can't answer questions based on a lawsuit that he brought, and I keep calling it what it is, frivolous and retaliatory, but he brought this case forward. He cannot answer certain questions because it could incriminate him, and in order to protect him from himself, he needs to bring in another lawyer who specializes in Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination to stop him from answering these questions so that he doesn't do additional harm to himself. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Right. Do you think he'll use that? I mean, that's a it's a great disguise as in like, I can't answer because it would affect my, you know, I, I don't know how you answer that. I think it's like I played the whatever it is, but like, do you think he'll use that in your, because that's a great leverage point outside where you can say, I, I didn't answer anything in the Cohen case because I didn't, you know, the other cases are going on right now. I don't want anyone to try and use that against me because like, it, it just seems like even the best lawyers, I don't know. I've seen different then how, depositions. Scott, how do, then Scott, I'm sorry, then. How does he prove his case against me then? If he can't answer the questions, right? Yes. How is it then that you prove your case? Including the judge made it very clear that a ongoing continuous use of the Fifth Amendment, right, in terms of this deposition will not be acceptable to the court. So I don't know. It, to me, like I said to you before, I can't imagine how any lawyer would ever put Trump on a witness stand voluntarily. It just doesn't make any sense. But, you know, Scott, as the hour comes to an end, I really have just one additional question that I want to ask you because it's kind of a, uh, a two-part question here. So we start to see a lot of the stuff that Biden has done over the course of the past two-plus years. You know, whether it's the economy, gas prices, you know, just a multitude of uh, the, what do you call it, reduction of uh, prescription medication, the infrastructure bill. There's a, there's a slew of successes. But to be honest with you, according to the CNN poll, and as we all know, my famous line says who, I ain't buying the fucking poll, to be honest with you. I think CNN concocted this poll. Uh, I think it's bullshit. It's like 879 people were, were polled or something like that. Phone called and also uh, sent uh, these interview questions and whatever. I'm not buying it for a second. I can't see Vivek Ramaswamy, an unknown, equal to Biden. I don't see Nikki Haley beating Biden. I don't see Chris Christie equal. I don't see Trump equal to it. I just don't. Or maybe I'm just praying. But my question to you is obviously Biden's poll numbers, um, you know, they're despite doing this really, I think, pretty decent job managing the country and the government. But his numbers are basically flat or 
according to some of these polls, dropping. What's your prognosis for 2024? I mean, at the end of the day, it appears it's going to be a Biden-Trump 2, a rematch, right? And then on top of that, I do understand that the GOP, especially the far right, guys like the Jimbo Jordan and, you know, the uh, Marjorie Toilet Green and et cetera, right, that they're contemplating on making a motion to impeach Biden. Putting all of this together, all of these negatives, what do you think will ultimately be the result here? I think that uh, in regards to impeachment, I think that they'll bring a vote to the floor and they won't have the votes. I think that the people in swing districts in the House won't vote for it. Um, they don't have the votes right now. They won't have the votes then. They don't have evidence. They want to do a, a, no investigation, no trial, no like nothing in regards that they, they, they did twice against Trump. Um, they want to just in, be able to say that they impeached him. They'll still say that they impeached him even if they didn't because um, that's how they how they roll. Um, so I, I, I think that will ultimately be unsuccessful. It's something that everyone needs to fight up and fight against because it's not something we should roll our eyes at. Um, it's very serious, um, huge abuse of power, and they're trying to do exactly what they're accusing Democrats of doing before. Um, they have no charge. Obviously, there was a huge amount of evidence for everything um, for, for both cases against Trump. This is not the same. They have no proof of anything. They have no proof of corruption. If they had anything, they would repeat it until the day we all die. Like they, they would mm -hmm. constantly talk about it. Um, they've got nothing and they know it. Uh, but they want to be able to say that they impeached him. And so Kevin McCarthy's running around trying to talk people into it. It's not something that other people are going to buy as much, but maybe it, it fires up a few uh, base Republican voters. In regards to Biden and his poll numbers, this is the place you want to sit as an incumbent president right now. You want your poll numbers to go up next year. You want them, You don't want them to go up now. And then slope downward into July next year. Um, you need them to go up over time, um, especially over the the next year here. So you know, it, politically speaking, campaign speaking, uh, I, I would say that it's not a terrible spot for Biden to be in. There's no way that some of those candidates can match up with Biden. I, I think Trump is the only one who could. Uh, pose a, a real serious threat at the moment. Uh, obviously, that could change with you know s anybody else if they are the nominee. I don't think DeSantis uh, wins it. He's too odd uh, of, a, of a guy. I, I, yeah, so I, I think that right odd now is an but, understatement. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know the nicest way to say, you know that uh, I think Biden's in a great spot right now. Um, yeah, he. You know, like any other president, people are going to complain about things. Uh, but overall, if you look at the matchup and you ask a real question of, OK, who would you choose between Biden and Trump? And let me add to this. Who would you choose between a Biden administration and a Trump administration? Who would you choose between a Biden staff and a Trump staff? Like you do not want those people back in the White House or even on the White House lawn for an Easter egg hunt. 
you do not want them ever involved in our government ever again. It's not just about the top people. It's not just about the figurehead and the spokesperson and the person who's passing different legislation. It's about the person who's speaking on their behalf. It's about the people that are actually doing the work behind the scenes, making the phone calls, being diplomats. Like These are the people that you want in charge. You want adults in charge. You don't want traitors in charge. And you, it's going to be a trickle down of that if you have Trump. It's not just about Trump and Biden. It's not just about Biden himself. And so when people complain about that, I always make sure to make it clear. And then the the choice is pretty clear there. You want Stephen Miller back in the White House? You know, start talking about that. It's not just about, about the two of them. It's not just about the matchup there. I think in a matchup that I think Biden wins by a, a larger margin this time. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I me think as well. We'll have a better. We'll have a better cohesive strategy. I think um, this time around because there's so much stu- uh, stuff. There's so much meat on the bone that we can go after. But I think it's. I think the future looks bright. You know, uh, poll numbers. I kind of look one way or the other. It's not something that Biden's going to worry about yet. Um, not told next year, you know, midsummer or whatnot. And they don't really matter until we know who the nominee is. And we get, got, uh, uh, we also got to know what, if Trump's the nominee, what has he been convicted of? Has he been sentenced to a prison? Like, uh, we don't know what's happening with any of that. You know, maybe it won't be that far along at that point, but these, these things will change things. Cause the fact that any Republicans, and I think that's over 10% now believe that he did something wrong or believe that he should serve time in prison is huge. They should be talking yeah. about that all day, not Biden's poll numbers. Nobody gives Agreed. a shit about that right now. So that's, that's Agreed. what I Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me again on Maya Culpa. It's good to see you, my friend. Stay safe. And um, I'll be speaking to you real soon. I really appreciate you. Appreciate it. Have a great one. Thank you, pal. Bye. That's all the time we have today, folks. And we'll be back Friday with all new episodes of Mea Culpa and nothing but the truth. So until then, you stay classy, America. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. (laughs) 